Here's the thing about new Cherry Vanilla Coke. Though cherries named first, all the flavors taste just as great. I mean, it could have just as easily been Vanilla Cherry Coke, or it could have been Coke Cherry Vanilla. And since it's two amazing flavors of Coke, it might have been Coke Vanilla Cherry Coke or Cherry Vanilla Coke Coke. <clears throat> Unless you're in France, which would make it Le Coke de la Vanilla de la Cherry de la Creme. New Cherry Vanilla Coke, so good together. And New Cherry Vanilla Coke Zero Sugar, same great taste, zero sugar. This episode is powered by Safety FM. Hey, I'm Sheldon Primus. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. In this podcast, I guide you through tips of the trade of being a safety consultant, as well as we'll go through some safety compliance issues, and we'll also talk about safety cultures. That's a 360 view of what's done as a safety consultant. So let's begin the show. Welcome to week 14. And in week 14, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the topic of being an instructional designer. And this is for anything that has to do with safety and health or anything that you're an expert at that you can do instructional design. So I've uh, been doing this for a while. It's it's uh, kind of one of the things that I've I highlighted in this blueprint course that I teach as supplemental income for you because sometimes you may not always have client after client after client and there's some downtime so uh, you have to figure out how to pick things up you know so one of the things that I have done is instructional design and truly it is detailed work and there was one client that i did some work for and uh, they're a fairly big company and they asked me to do a course that was behavior-based safety related and it was a hundred thousand words that i had to do with this course and i had to break it up into different things and sometimes there's courses that are short which are five thousand words and when i say words it's word count and the word count is through the Microsoft Word program or if you're an Apple person doing through that uh, program any of your word processing programs so it's a word count so let's uh, break this into a few different ways of thinking of instructional design so one of the first things I'm gonna break down is pretty much the thought process behind it so the thought process is first and foremost someone wants to make a profit through the course so they want this course to be engaging it also uh, especially being uh, something safety and health related if it's safety culture then chances are you're going to have to bring in some documentation that's going to come from different sources related to safety culture issues as well as personal experiences but it's not as concrete as safety uh, safety compliance when you're doing safety compliance ones then you're using any of your regulatory agency that is under your jurisdiction and you're pulling that source material out you're dissecting that source material and then you're putting it right back into the program or into that course in your own words 
and there's some really uh, nuances and skills related to that so that you can give them documentation and a finished product that is royalty free finished product that's not being copied directly from word from word from a standard it's going to have to be something that you as an expert are going to be able to understand yourself so you can disseminate that information to a student and you have to create the course in such a way that you're going to hit the target market and they're going to understand it real well so that's the the idea behind it so let's talk about breaking down one of the first and foremost things is understanding the scope of the job so understanding understanding the scope of the job comes from a two-way conversation between you and the client so sit down talk to them it's just face to face if it's over email uh, however it is just talk to them and ask questions that's going to dissect the scope a little bit better for you you're going to want to know the word count because most instructions are, are most courses are first designed in word and then it's going to get eventually developed to by someone else. So I have seen it many ways. The scope for me usually is I develop the base product first in Word and then I submit it to the client. The client then will have a, a battery of people that's going to go through it and they're going to look at it and they're going to scrutinize it. And then they're going to ask questions. They're going to hand it back to me. I go over it and I take out any typos. I look for anything that uh, it has whatever questions that they bring up to me. And then I fix that. And then I have to send it back to them and they go through it again. And we do another round of that. And uh, truly we get a final copy. The final copy then goes to someone who's going to put it in whatever the final form is. So it could be PowerPoint. It could be a regular learning management system, LMS where they have some sort of flash player that is going to be read by someone who's reading my words into a computer. And then it becomes a course that they use. And I, I, I truly have done plenty of courses. I've done courses for OSHA, 10 hour and 30 hour classes from clients. I've done one off uh, stuff. I've done some stuff where they've, they're special to only a state program and even one that's special to a city program so it takes a lot of research in order to get that information in so understanding the scope is very important so you want to know first and foremost what's that word count what is going to be the final product that you deliver to them because if you're delivering not only the Word document, but you're also going to be creating a PowerPoint, that brings the price into a different stratosphere. And then it also shows you that the company's not as large as uh, you may have thought if they also want you to deliver a PowerPoint presentation on top of the Word document. Uh, generally, it's either or, and I've, I've done either or. But after you get an understanding of that, you want to understand who the audience is because you really need to know if you're going to be delivering this material to executives are you delivering this material to frontline supervisors or someone that's just getting started as trainees that means that the course is going to be created differently based on who is listening and consuming that information so for you as being the content developer you really want to make sure that you're not going to talk 
over the head of someone who's just getting started or tucked down to an executive level person because that course isn't going to get sold. And that's the number one thing that that person's trying to do by hiring you is they want to get that course sold. So after that, you're going to, you got the scope. Uh, another thing to ask to, to really develop the scope is the time frame. When do they need it by? And uh, give yourself, especially if you're just getting started, an extra two weeks uh, just so that you could get that information in and you're not late because you don't want to get late on any of your uh, the things that you submit. And I have had that experience before and it is nerve wracking. So I tell you out of experience that you don't want to be late. I remember one course, I, I just couldn't get the material that I needed uh, because it was just so hard to find the specific program for uh, an actual city plan and a lot of it wasn't made public so I had to do some digging so my original thought when we're sitting in the meeting was I could have it ready in X amount of time and it turned out that I knew I was going to be behind so I kept the open channel communication with the client just to let them know here's what I have right now so you could get started with the other part that everyone else that needs to uh, come in contact with that material but I'm not finished yet and I'll give you a realistic date due to my experience in trying to find some quality information to make this course do well so I've, I've had that too so again this is on the scope side you're finding out the format who is the end user you also want to make sure that you're going to get uh, some information as in uh, do they have any source material for you or not are you coming out with all of it together and then you also want to make sure that you get a good understanding of uh, of for for your uh, forgetting the scope is what's going to be your delivery method and so is it going to be delivered versus uh, written or is it going to get delivered as a, a, a you know be proctored or, or anything like that so once you get that information in you can make a quote uh, generally your quotes gonna be by the word count so I, I can't really give you a, a, a price per se on the word count but let's say uh, if we're gonna break it into a thousand words and uh, you're thinking about a thousand words which is very small like a blog post if you're gonna see a blog post most blog posts are gonna be uh, if it's about a page page and a half that's roughly about uh, 700 words double spaced so 700 words uh, you're not gonna get a course out of that that's that's truly uh, not too much even if it's a thousand words that's not a course most courses if it's gonna be an hour long you're probably looking at uh, close to 7,000 to 10,000 words for an hour-long course so uh, you're you're really gonna have to uh, break that down a little bit I'm trying to you know doing this off the cuff I don't have my, my material here with me but uh, that's to my memory if I'm writing a 3,000 word course uh, chances are you're gonna you're gonna probably quote them uh, almost to the effect of not not ten dollars per word but maybe you might want to do like a hour course uh, you have to look at your time it looks at uh, how much you're gonna end up 
digging into this and then also the how much you think you're gonna you're gonna get from them so uh, it could be anything from uh, an hour worth of uh, course thousand to um, uh, excuse me three thousand words roughly could be somewhere in the thousand dollar range and so don't quote me to that what you can do is look up uh, Upwork is the one I've used before uh, U-P-W-R-K and you can look for that or you could just go ahead and do a search for subject matter experts in certain areas find a word count and see how much someone's willing to pay for it and uh, that might be also found on a LinkedIn type of uh, program so I don't want to get caught up on the price too much for when you're you're going to be proposing uh, but uh, you know beginning work versus what I've done in the past and currently is different the more you do it the higher your bill the higher you charge and uh, so that that varies but make sure you really calculate your time uh, just kind of visualize if I have uh, let's say I need to write 700 words how quickly can you type are you dictating this uh, so that's a part of it too are you giving it to someone else and they're gonna be dictating it to you or are you gonna use a, a program like rev rev.com where you pay by the word and they break it down for you and you're just talking into uh, a mic or something so that's also part of your your calculation there too so I would just try to think of it as you know type out something do it as your normal typing speed and then do the math and break it down as saying all right I'm getting uh, you know 60 words a minute or something like that then now you know how many words you need in the hour and then you break it into your time there and and that could be the thought process that you're doing there and then it's also going to give you an idea of how long it's going to take so in some cases you may only have uh let's say in a day you can only do 5,000 to 10,000 words in a day then now you know if you're going to do a you know, 20,000 word course which is going to roughly break down to uh, a three to four hour course in some ways, uh, then now you're going to say, well, I could get this thing done uh, if I'm doing 10 hours a day. I don't want to say I'm going to get this done. At, uh, excuse me, if you're going to do 10,000 words a day and it's a 30,000 word course, you're not going to quote three days. You're going to give yourself a nice long time uh, to do that. And it's a back and forth between you and the client. So you have to understand that too. So they'll give you your deadline and then you'll have to meet that deadline as best you can. And then you'll also know how many words you need to produce each day. Yeah, so... Uh, definitely work on that so that's the thought process behind not only the scope of work but then also the thought process on how much you should charge so let's get to the instructional design itself so the instructional design always 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 if I say it too much <laughs> say it again always start with a detailed outline so get a detailed outline of what you want the course to look like so let's say it's a compliance course with something like um, uh, I don't know let's say permit required confined space and now you're gonna have to ask if someone's asking you for that you can say agriculture general industry construction maritime uh, 
what do you want me to do this in? And those are regulations that you'll be looking at. So I'm US-based, so I'm going to use an example of US-based OSHA. But uh, if you're listening to me in any other parts of the world, you know, Barcelona, Spain, or you're listening to me in England or uh, in Africa, wherever it is, then if this is a regulation-based course, then go find your regulation. And you could start your detailed outline through the regulation itself. So most regulations will start with scope and then it'll go into definitions and then it'll go into different sections of that regulation. Break that down and uh, doesn't mean you have to copy that, but use that to start your actual outline. And then from there, you're going to get even more and more detailed of what that outline is going to look like. So at this point, I usually go to my reference material and I've got a few different uh, areas that I look for references. I do look for the OSHA site for references. I look at NIOSH for references, which is the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. I look for the National Fire Protection Association. I look at ASSP, uh, which is American Society of Safety Professionals anywhere I could get some information that I could have uh, regarding the actual thing I'm writing on, I'm going to go through that exhaustively. And then I'm also going to look at other people's blog posts that have written about it. And I'm going to look for their cited sources and then go ahead and find those. I'm going to look at university sites uh, so I could get that information from university sites as well. Anywhere you could find to get those resources, you're going to look for that. Keep it, make a, a folder in your computer specifically for that topic and just dive into that topic as best as you can. And now that you're going to have your detailed outline, uh, the way that you're going to break that detailed outline into actual word count, you just have to think of a few things. You're going to need, first and foremost, to start the course itself is going to have to have a description. So make sure you do your heading, your course description. And if you're using Word, I actually like to do all my outline headings on my outline as chapters, if you will. And then I'm going to have those chapters, that heading, uh, be assigned to that chapter. So in the end, when I do a resource page or when I do an actual page that is going to show my, uh, show my, uh, what do you call it? Reference guide or, or table of contents. I guess that's the word I'm looking for table of contents. Then it's already going to be formatted for that. And, um, truly, that's the only real format I want to worry about right now because when I populate my table of contents, I want it to have which page it is. I put the page number on too, so I have a quick reference point to where I'm looking at, and that's the only formatting I want to start out with. Other than that, when I'm writing, I don't want to deal with formatting too much. I really just want to make sure that I'm, I'm writing uh, grammatically correct and I'm just going to write. Uh, I'm truly just going to try to write that down as best as I can. So formatting comes later. And that's really when you're going to get more of the detailed. So uh, you got your detailed outline. You're going to start filling in the content. Uh, first, the course is going to have a course overview. And then you're going to have your objectives. So use a Bloom Taxonomy uh, guides for your actual 
uh, objectives. You know, uh, in the in this chapter, we're going to understand the uh, OSHA guidance on permit required confined space, or we're going to explain the concept of rescues or something like that. Do you look for a Bloom taxonomy? You want to grab a hold of that, download that. There's usually got a, um, if you type in Bloom taxonomy in uh, Google search, it's going to probably pull up a pyramid looking item and that will tell you how you could break those things down. Those action words is what you need for your, uh, your actual objectives. Then after that, you're going to write your, uh, break it into chapters, and then you're going to write that chapter, and you're going to do quizzes. Most quizzes are going to have chapter end quizzes of either five questions or ten questions. So you're going to... In, you're going to create your quizzes in such a way that the quiz is going to have two obviously wrong answers and two that could go either way. You've all taken quizzes, so you know what they look like, right? So to schedule it that way, if you take one of my courses, you'll know it's mine because I always have a couple of questions that'll uh, have one right answer and it's going to be, you know, like uh, something that you, you definitely would have to pick. And then I'll also say on the very bottom question D all of the above and that's usually the wrong one or none of the above and that's usually the wrong one and the reason why I do that is because uh, people automatically don't read the question and they go straight for none of the above or all the above so if you ever take one of my courses and you clicked on that then all right now you now you know behind <laughs> that it's one of Sheldon's courses I just took online uh, but anyway uh, that's that's truly how I, I, I think of it so then after your uh your well actually before your quiz you're gonna have to do a chapter summary this is what we learned so it's kind of like speaking when you're speaking and you become a public speaker you're always told to to create your speeches this way which is tell them what you're gonna tell them then tell them and then tell them what you told them. So in effect, you're saying, all right, I'm going to tell my audience this. This is what you're going to hear. Then tell them what you're going to say. And then this is what I just told you. And that's the same thing with your course development. As you're typing this thing out, you're going to say, here's our course objectives due through the Bloom Taxonomy. Uh, write your course uh, chapter. And then here's the summary of what I just told you. And then here's your 10 questions or here's your five questions. So most of the questions that you're going to probably want to see is uh, generally it'll be true or, true or false uh, or multiple choice. And the, uh, the actual course designers, they will then design other things. Sometimes they'll do matching or do a like art scale or something like that. So it's up to you to actually uh, at least do something that is going to give them a start. And that's mostly multiple choice or it's going to be a true or false. Quite honestly, I hardly ever see them wanting to fill in the blank without making the blank a multiple choice type question. But uh, that's how uh, that's how that section goes. Then you go to the next chapter, and the next chapter, and the next chapter. And you work all that out the same type of format. And then at the end, you're going to do a course summary. 
and then a final exam. Generally, final exam is going to be roughly about 20 to 25 questions, depending on the actual uh, course. And in some ways, it could be even longer than that. But typically, you're going to see uh, you're going to see a final exam as being 25 questions. And that's the the thought process be behind how to structure the actual course. But there's some nuances in there. So I've used something called. Uh, uh, nuance dragon speak easy I think it is and oh my goodness was that an awful program for me I had so much typos with that and I it, it was almost embarrassing I had to really uh, go through that and uh, I I honestly am, yeah, I just had to, you know, keep going back and going back and saying, all right, I'm not going to use this program anymore. So hopefully I had an older version. Hopefully the newer version is better. Uh, and, you know, I call things by name because, hey, it's my podcast. So I want to let you guys know what I've used. Uh, the other thing that I've also uh, uh, done, and I wish if I did this, uh, is had uh, someone else just go ahead and, and type it some things for me uh, just to give me a break from from looking at it dictate someone uh, sometimes I, I wish I had done that but I do have my wife who happens to be a teacher uh, look over a lot of the the programs that I've written and the courses I've written just so she could give me a good understanding of if it looks right from an education point of view and uh and that does help so if you have any teacher friends especially if they're uh, english type teachers or whatever language you have uh, just look over the structure of your actual course and see how that fits with uh you know the actual language <laughs> so that's a a good one to have uh another thing to do with your instructional design Sometimes you just need to sit it down, let it go, and then come back. And then, you know, have a free brain, a free thought process about it. Because you're going to have to make sure that this thing is in a logical order from one thing to the next. So that's why I say if it's a standard base, follow the standard, uh, and the standard will actually lead you in a logical uh, thought base. So here's some of the other considerations that you have to do with instructional design. If you're using any pictures, don't go grabbing it from the internet. Uh, you have to look for open source material, verify that it is open source. Uh, you could use your own material, but just make sure that it's not copyrighted material in any way. Uh, most of it, if it's government work, then most of governmental uh, information is open source. But just verify that you're sending the client open source material. Uh, and please, 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 please don't plagiarize. Uh, it's not worth it. Just go ahead and uh, do original content. If it's something that you have to quote, especially regulations, then go ahead and put it in quotations and do the italics or whatever and, and get that going. But also when you're referencing things, you have to use the correct format for referencing. So let's say you're using Word. Word actually has a reference section 
and they'll let you do Chicago style, MLA, APA style, and they'll do the referencing cited as the correct format. And if you're doing footnotes or anything like that, so make sure you're doing that right per whatever system you're using. I usually write in APA format because uh, that's what I did when I was taking my master's. So I, I still write that way. But, you know, regardless, that could also be part of the scope. You can ask whoever the client is, you know, what format do you want this, uh, this thing written as and then work it out that way. So that's the basics of doing instructional design. There's so much detail behind that, but I just want you to at least think of this, uh, replay this podcast over and over again. If you need to break it into its basic steps so that you could do instructional design and find a way to either do your own courses or to do courses for clients. All right. So uh, stick around. When we come back, we'll do the tip of the week. We can all run into issues. Some issues we will discuss with friends and maybe family, but some items are so personal that we don't want to discuss with anyone and we just want to handle them ourselves. What issues am I talking about? I am talking about issues with credit. Imagine being able to work on your credit report from the comfort of your own home. No weird salesperson telling you to dispute everything. Just straightforward, no nonsense on what to do step-by-step to work on your credit report. This is not just a credit education service, but it's also a community of other like-minded individuals having the same struggles. For more information, go to issueswithcredit.com. The Issues with Credit community will be with you every step of the way. Issueswithcredit.com, a 13th hour solution venture. Do you want to be a safety consultant? Listen to Dr. Jay Allen of Safety FM give his experience after taking the Safety Consultant Blueprint course. But I really think that you have a genuine good product there that can really assist people if they're interested in becoming a safety consultant. Register for the Safety Consultant Blueprint at www.safetyconsultantblueprint.com. Enter code PODCAST for a special discount. For this tip of the week, I want to encourage you to go to upwork.com, U-P-W-O-R-K.com. And upwork.com is a network of professionals. And you can set up an account. Make sure you make a full portfolio account of yourself, what you've done, uh, any recommendations that you had. It's a wonderful tool that's out there to help you get supplemental income through doing instructional design. You could do reviews for other people who have courses. You could do anything. Just type in um, Upwork.com, no S-U-P-W-O-R-K.com. And with your Upwork portfolio, then you have the opportunity to have people come to you as a subject matter expert and do some SME work, subject matter expert. And the SME work is really good. I, I uh, also put that in the Safety Consultant Blueprint course just as a form of a way that you could have 
any supplemental income. So let's give you a little example about some of the work that I've got from Upwork. So I set up my account. I actually have two accounts. One is to receive work and one is to get work and to hire some people. And uh, there's people all over. You can look at LinkedIn, you can look at other services, and there's people that do Upwork full-time as freelancers. It used to be called freelance.com. I believe it was freelancer.com, but then it got bought out and it was switched into Upwork. So um, I personally got several SME jobs related to people who wanted someone to look over some programs to see how accurate it is for OSHA compliance. And then I also had some people who needed someone to write specific courses and have that be compliant with OSHA. So they looked me up and uh, one of the things that you could do is you could get paid by the hour, you could get paid by the project. It's really up to the client and you bid for work. So they try to look through every other SME's portfolio and as your portfolio gets bigger and bigger then it's easier and easier for you to actually get some work through that system so the tip of the week is go ahead go to upwork.com it's not a promotion for me in any way it's just something that I've used and I used often and I still use so uh, get yourself a portfolio hey you might even be competing with me for a job I guess <laughs> I shouldn't be telling you that but that's okay it's enough room for everybody right so go ahead get yourself a profile and then we want to make sure that uh, fill it as detailed as possible and then just uh, bid fairly for what you think you can do with the job and uh, overperform when you get it all right so that is the tip of the week thank you for listening to this podcast i really appreciate each and every one of you it's been a real fun time for me and i'll just like to ask you if you could help me out by subscribing to the podcast sharing it with some friends and families in your social network and your linkedin and leave a review on iTunes. That's going to help me greatly spread the word for other safety consultants. Thank you. This podcast is being sponsored by safetyconsultantblueprint.com. This episode has been powered by Safety FM. Here's the thing about new cherry vanilla Coke. Though cherries named first, all the flavors taste just as great. I mean, it could have just as easily been vanilla cherry Coke, or it could have been Coke cherry vanilla. And since it's two amazing flavors of Coke, it might have been Coke vanilla cherry Coke or cherry vanilla Coke Coke. <clears throat> Unless you're in France, which would make it Le Coke de la Vanilla de la Cherry de la Creme. New Cherry Vanilla Coke, so good together. And New Cherry Vanilla Coke Zero Sugar, same great taste, zero sugar.